Welcome everyone, episode number 32 of the Wide Lens Podcast. Welcome back. I've got my co-host here, Matthew Rigby, uh, and we are recording this on the Friday the 16th of September. Um, now, I, I, I'm going to hand over to Matt for his Market Minute, but this Market Minute is going to go for a, a long time. I feel like this whole segment needs to be changed from like Market Minute to... Because I feel like we're going to cover today like a lot more than just what's going on in the market, more like economic uh, data... Um, what else we got here in, in the dock? There's a whole bunch of stuff. So probably uh, not so much just on, on stocks, but economic, financial, and a whole bunch of things. So I'll hand over to Matt. We'll kick it off, and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. All right. We'll get through the usual stuff first. So the Aussie market, basically fat, flat over the last five days to last night's close. Not fat. <laughs> not fat. Uh, down about 10% year to date. A couple of... Stocks that caught my attention this week, Star Entertainment, the casino operator up in Sydney. They were up about 5%, which surprised me. Shambles. Um, but have found to be unsuitable to hold a license, a casino <laughs> license in New South Wales. And yet they're up. So I don't know what the market was expecting. Um, Cut costs. Maybe you have to pay a your license fees. Well, cost reduction. <laughs> well, maybe they just become a property play. They rent out the, the land. Who knows? Do they own the, the building? I think they do, yeah. Much like Crown owns yeah, yeah, their, sure. their casinos. Uh, Link down 23% on concerns that the conditions uh, that the UK Financial Conduct Committee are imposing will see the takeover deal basically uh, untenable. Um, It's unlikely that uh, the Canadian company, Dyer and Durham, I think is their name, uh, unlikely that they will want to kind of stump up the funding that the FCC are asking for the deal to go through. Uh, Atlas Arteria... Uh, the Toll Road Company in a trading halt, they're down about 1.6%. Uh, they're looking to raise $3.1 billion to buy Chicago Skyway, which is a toll road, uh, raising money at six thirty a share from the previous seven eighty close. And uh, Ramsey Healthcare, down about 11%. KKR basically came out and said, not willing to renegotiate the deal. Uh, and noting that after they reviewed the financial year 2022 accounts, there is meaningful downside pressure on the proposed valuation. So called their bluff. Uh, yeah, basically, it's yeah. like, man, just, just take the deal, take it, Should've or taken the deal, walk away. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of argy bargy going on there. All Sounds right, the, like uh, Elon Musk when he reviewed the number of bots in Twitter. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like, uh, on reflection, which is yeah. <laughs> Damn it, having buyer's remorse or bidder's remorse. All right, the NASDAQ down 3.4%, uh, down 27% year to date. Uh, 54 stocks now down more than 20%, 13 in positive territory. S&P 500 down 3%, uh, down 18.6% year to date. Uh, 126 stocks or 25% or thereabouts in positive territory. 206 down more than 20% getting well, not not recovering, uh, and this week was pretty nasty for the markets. One day in particular, which so we'll it's get almost into like it's not bit. getting better, but it's not getting worse. Yeah, it's almost like one step forward, one step back. Yeah, you know, the markets had a good rally late last week into this week. Inflation gets released, bang, we just give it all back and start again. Uh, only a couple of relatively number interesting. Right? What's which one? Um, you got go on, please. Yeah, Adobe down twenty percent. Uh, so they beat earnings, but uh, they announced the purchase or acquisition 
uh, of a company called Figma. Um, the, the thoughts are that they're paying a bit too much, so paying right. about twenty billion uh, for this acquisition. One of the most expensive they've ever purchased. Won't what do they be, buy it for? Uh, well, it won't be so twenty bill. I don't know what they bought it for a share, like dollar per share. Oh, no, right. Um, so what's Fig? Fig- Figma looks like a like a Canva style, um, enterprise so, software. Yeah, type yeah. Chatting to a couple of guys, and they're like, "I just don't know how like designers use you know Adobe software where you've got the likes of a Canva now that can be really? done so quickly." Okay. Yeah, wow. But right. I guess you talk to designers and creatives; they'll they'll always stick to the uh, you know the Adobe software. I mean, it's right. far more advanced. I mean, Canva's just yeah, yeah Canva's for the masses, right? Right. Okay. Uh, but it looks like a Canva-like tool, and it's good to see Adobe bringing sort of a lighter solution. Some of the, they've tried to do it, but with some of their other products, but it just yeah, it hasn't really hasn't worked. Grasped, and the market hasn't really grasped it. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Um, so this deal won't be earnings accretive until year four. Mm. So, you know, they're paying up for it in a down market. I think that's where the market are a bit concerned. Uh, Oracle missed. They're down about 6%. FedEx missed uh, after market. No, sorry. They, yeah, they missed uh, after market down about 16%. Uh, but they withdrew full-year guidance. And this was the really interesting part. Um, said that global volumes declined as macro trends significantly worsened later in the quarter, both internationally and in the US. Mm-hmm. So if you think... Kind of, you know, are they a, a fair representation of, you know, activity, whether it be business or, you know, just sending packages, obviously. Uh, but sending stuff around the country, you know, Amazon, their the business is based on sending stuff around the, the country. Uh, so a significant, that was kind of the word that jumped out at me there. So mm. that's interesting, something to watch as we go into the holiday season over in the States. Um, Twitter, you mentioned earlier, up about 0.6 for the week. Shareholders approved Elon Musk's. $44 billion uh, takeover bid. I thought this was just dead. For whatever that's worth. It pretty much is. So um, interestingly, this week also the, the whistleblower within um, Twitter, Peter Zatko, I think his name is, uh, told the Senate Judiciary Committee that um, Twitter misled its board, investors and users about its security and the prevalence of bots on the platform. All oh, right, which so. Elon Musk has jumped on and said he's obviously in court at the moment, going, "This is why I'm wanting to back out of the deal." So, I imagine that deal is dead. I would think. Right. So, what Elon was talking about about the bots is it was actually true. true. It would appear, right? Allegedly. Uh, and lastly, Peloton. Elon's um, the whistleblower. <laughs> might be. Might be. Oh well. Oh, he's he's doing sentence. good in the world, isn't he? Mate, he's he's out there giving it a crack. I love that. Uh, yeah, just nothing is nothing's an obstacle. Everything is solvable. I think that's what I love like about his attitude. Uh, Peloton, Peloton up about fifteen yeah. percent. Their chief executive and co-founder John Foley stepping oh, yeah. down. Uh, nothing helps your ego like the market going up when you leave. Um, but I would imagine there's further shakeups there to come. Yeah. Capital raise probably in the offering at some point, and they're in a whole lot of trouble. What's the market cap now? Oh, far out. No, I don't know. Wow. Just take a guess. $10 billion. 3.6. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Wow. I was, thought I was being conservative. Uh, mm. Emerging markets, as, as uh, gauged by the VGE, Vanguard Index Fund, uh, up 
0.2 for the week, down 13.3 for the year. Oil down 2.3 for the week, up 13 year-to-date, sitting at 84.70 US a barrel. And I came across this in Bloomberg. We'll just bring this chart up now. Uh, this is a graph of the US's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, so a pretty significant decline. It's kind of been declining for a little while, but really since the start of this year, it has just dropped off the face of the earth. Um, so what is the str- Strategic Petroleum Reserve? So this is just the it's like US a, it's like a secret stockpile secret of oil. Right. Yeah, so they kind of keep it there for emergencies. emergencies. Yeah. Prices are too high, they release it. When prices are low, they kind of build it back up again. Um, wow. So that's fallen off a little bit. Bloomberg was sort of suggesting maybe this is one component. Wow, one that's of been the falling since 2017. Yeah. Five but, years ago. But look at that last dip. Oh, I mean, that's literally kind of the last the quarter of, of last year, right? Yeah. And it's almost vertical at points. Um, but anyway, you know, whether that has factored into the recent price decline, I don't know, but I just thought it was pretty interesting because uh, it's often... It's often given as a reason why oil prices are going up when they're building. So I guess conversely, when they're depleting it, it drops mm. down. All right, Bitcoin down 9% for the last five days. It was up strongly over the weekend, which is not captured in that. Uh, but down 58.7% year to date, sitting at 19,679 um, so the merger is coming for Ether, apparently, which basically means that um, Ethereum, uh, then with the network that runs Ether, uh, it's the second most valuable coin. So it's getting a makeover, which essentially the whole deal of the software change is to make it more energy efficient. Mm-hmm. And they're expecting it to be 99% more energy efficient, or mm-hmm. basically save 99% of the current energy that you're using, which is massive. Do, just, just think huge. just think about like what the internet was like back in when you when was the first time you used the internet oh uh, uh, I'm sure you remember late 90s where, where were you I was at uni I think and do you know a funny story it's gonna embarrass me but I remember not knowing anything about it I was like what is this thing <laughs> oh. oh I heard about this mba.com I didn't know. Like I was mba.org, <laughs> .gov. Like I had no idea what the extension meant that eventually got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but the, so the, po- the point that I'm trying to make is that I, like, I remember me and my mates distinctly remember the first time we used the internet. It was a computer shop in Doncaster. After school, we, yeah, we had right. to book time to use the computer, like five <laughs> yes. of us. It's $10 for like 10 minutes or something of, of wow. internet. And it was the slowest thing on earth, but it was like, wow. What were you? What were you? NBA.com. I was going to say Googling. What yeah, were you? It was NBA, yeah, NBA.com, right? <laughs> Funny uh, and I think we were, um, when was it? Uh, late 90s, mid, mid 90s. Yeah. Okay. First time we, yeah. yeah. Mid to late 90s, first time you used it. Yep. And the point that I'm trying to make is that it, you think about the efficiency and the advancement that has happened since then. Yeah. I mean, it's only 25 years, more or less. Maybe 20, 20 years for, for most people who have connected to the internet, right? Yep. 2002. Yep. Yep. And so think about the evolution from there and think about yeah. how quickly now uh, cryptocurrency and digital assets, how quickly they're going to evolve and the efficiencies they're going to gain. I reckon, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing, yeah. but 
I think it's all relative and, and the, the advancements that we make now are going to be far swifter than the advancements that were made in the early 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that we're seeing that in AI and, and a whole bunch of other things that the advances are advancing at a faster rate. And, yeah. You know, things are happening much quicker. Uh, so, yeah, so that, look, that's interesting. Makes it more energy efficient, possibly makes it more usable. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, interesting. So is this a new segment we've got now, the Matt's, Mar- Matt's Economic Minute? Yeah, this is it. I've put a new one in. Uh, just, just for the record, Bitcoin and Ether are both down about the same amount. Both down about 59 Sure. Which uh, was surprising. All right, economic. Here we go. This is where it gets really we, we interesting. Will, we will slot a new chapter in into the video. <laughs> All right, so US CPI numbers came out at 0.1 for the month of August, which doesn't sound like a lot. Expectations were negative 0.2, so deflation. Uh, but the market basically shit itself. Um, annual inflation rate headline is at 8.3, down from 8.5. Expectations were 8.1. So in the mid-range there. But I so think hold on, we were down, but we weren't down as much as... <laughs> weren't down as much as expected. Uh, so who was but, right? But, the market was wrong. Uh, uh, yeah, the market's wrong. I'll get, get to that in a little bit. Um, Annual food inflation, yeah. 11.4%. So that's the fastest pace since May 1979. Food, right. For food and electricity, 158 the most since 1981. Now, they're sure. both headline. So let's bring this chart up now. And I didn't see this really commented on all that much, not to say that it wasn't. But core inflation, this is kind of where it's, it's starting to get really interesting. Um, so the headline's at 8.1. You know, that, that, excludes the vol- that includes the volatile items like energy and food. The core number, and that's the one that, that the Fed tend to focus a bit more on, that was at 6.1. That was up 0.6% versus an increase of 0.3 expected. So basically, the core rate is increasing at twice the rate of what the market was expecting. Um, you can see it jumping in that last bar. Yeah, right I mean, and it side. was sort of trending down, and I think this is why the market really reacted quite strongly. And the other factor is that of the seven key categories within core, three of them were fairly minor increases. So the one was a uh, apparel was up 0.2, medical devices effectively were up 0.2, uh, used cars were down 0.1. But the other categories were up fairly significantly, more than half a percent up to 0.8%. So the vast majority of the core is still increasing at a pretty strong rate. Um, you know, with the Fed kind of saying that, uh, you know, Jackson Hole Powell basically said a single month's improvement fail, uh, falls far short of what the Fed uh, would need to see before uh, being confident about that inflation's moving down. So if we've got core inflation still increasing at a fairly rapid rate, uh, interest rates are going much higher over the course of the year. Yeah, but I think that's such a to, – to, to the comment you just made that it's a one-month data point, it was a one-month data point that the CPI was improving and core CPI was improving. And now we've got – I mean, there was a, clearly a downward trend, as you can see on the right-hand side there, whereby we peaked during March. Yeah. And then even though headline was increasing, core was decreasing, um, the Fed said that we're just going to see how – see what the data – data tells us yeah i think that the concern though is that each of those core areas moved re-increasing at a faster rate than they were the previous month so look at the core man new new cars okay secondhand cars are uh, if you look at Mannheim, their index has just absolutely plummeted 
shelter, so homes and, and mainly rent. And I've got a chart to show you later on, but rents in Australia, mate, they're going bananas. Mm. Yeah, and rents is a big one. There's some early indication that's maybe moderating. That's one that has been quite strong. Transport, um, healthcare services. But, um, but services, yeah. Services are the big driver. And you know, if you think about demand and supply, you know, supply has been the driver for inflation recently. Services is purely a demand side of the equation. And that is And why is that? Is that because wages really are going up for service providers? I would imagine so. Yeah. Is that um, for is that is that a is that an immigration thing? Well, may I've got no idea. I uh, don't know what immigration is doing in the US. Mm. But yeah, I mean, inflation, uh, wages, you would imagine, feeds right into services. Um, you know, but, but, you know, Does services anyone like even understand services. inflation? Like, really? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, well, the problem is that we're also focused on, as, as I've just talked about, one month. What, this month, next month, whatever. It's, it's like Chris it's Joy annualising one month of uh, data. Well, that's a, what is that? A uh, 677.2% increase annualised for the core. That's uh, it's pretty strong. It's a big number. It's a big number. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's, that's for that. The, um, actually, the other thing kind of somewhat relating to that, initial jobless claims in the US, we'll just bring this chart up really, really quickly. Um, continuing to drop. So I think I talked a few weeks ago about initial claims increasing and you can kind of see there it's really dropped off. Mm. 213,000 of initial, so new jobless claims uh, for the last week. 226 was expected. The the employment market is still incredibly strong over there. Um, US PPI, so producer price inflation was down 0.18% annually. And the US Economic Optimism Index, I don't know what the hell that is, sounds pretty cool, uh, that actually improved. Um, just trying to find something positive there. <laughs> well, talk about positive, um, I saw you uh, putting some stuff in the dock and I had a quick look at some of the things that you wanted to talk about and it just kind of triggered me to look into some things. So I want to maybe add on to your Matt's Go for it. Matt and economic Rob's economic. Unit. Hour. You've been taking the limelight the last couple of weeks, so I feel like <laughs> I have to... Co-host is going to make <laughs> Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, ego's shining there. Um, <laughs> let me bring this chart up here now. So you and I have um, talked about, like, what are the, what's going on with the consumer? What's, what are the, what, how is the consumer spending? What is the data telling us? Talk about credit card companies and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, this, is, this is from Bank of America. The chart on the left-hand side left-hand side shows median household savings and checking or savings balances by income. And so the, the blue line's under 50K, 50 to 100 in red, 100 to 150 orange, 150 to 250 and 250 above, you can see. And you can see the savings rates um, since 2019, 2020, still very high relative to that of the pre-pandemic. Sure, yeah. Now, um, I mean, there's a, a, a very slow downward trend there and mm-hmm. that's probably going to continue and take time. And that's why I think this whole process that we're going through, it's going to be a quite a slow and lengthy process because we've talked about it before. Consumers are cashed up. They're in the best position they've ever been to withstand a recession. So it's almost like the two armies are fighting. You've got consumers and you've got, you know, the Fed trying to dampen. But, you know, the cavalry here is still quite large. And so it's going to take these guys a little while to get through. Do you mean the process of getting inflation Yeah, man, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they can absorb it for a lot longer, right? Yes. 
The chart on the right-hand side is the share of credit card spending by value for those with both credit and debit cards. And so the, the blue line is um, 2019, the red is 2021, 2022. Yeah, right. Look at and that. And so you can see spending, uh, although for the under 50K bracket, it did drop slightly in 2021 post the pandemic. But we're back to pre-pandemic level spending. And in fact, look at the above 150K bracket. Mm, You're, in 2022, they're spending more than they had in, in 2019 and 2021. 2020 is not in there, obviously, because nothing happened in 2020. But you can start to see the, the consumers are still spending. They've got the savings in the bank accounts. Yep. And so maybe it's just going to take a little bit more time. What do you think? Yeah, look at that chart on the left is really interesting. I mean, look at the trend. First half of the year, savings increased. Second half, they spent. You know, that's the, I, I imagine that summer and then into back to school, yep. Halloween, Thanksgiving, and then and then Christmas, and then they save again. Um, yeah, consumers not in too bad a position. That's and that's good, you know, because um, they're going to need to be. <laughs> Uh, the next one was, I, I read this article on Bloomberg. Uh, I'll just read the headline now. Mm. Amazon sellers see scary holiday season as consumers pull back, which is contradictory to what the data is saying because the consumers are not pulling not back their spending. Yep. For the first time, US online sales growth rate will be in single digits. Uh, merchants fear they'll be forced to cut prices to goose sales. Uh, quickly, mm. I'll just read this. Amazon.com sellers are bracing, this is quote, Bloomberg, racing for a bleak holiday shopping season as consumers slow their spending. Many merchants who sell more than half of the goods on Amazon's web store fear they'll be forced to cut prices to move a mountain of unsold, unsold inventory. Something we've been talking Sounds about for a little while. Right? It's an abrupt change to the previous two years of the pandemic where sellers scramble to get enough products from the Amazon's warehouse to meet the COVID-fueled demand. Yep. Even as uh, chronic shortages let them boost prices. So in the past, it's been... Um, short of stock, can't get the stock, prices get jacked up. And now we're going through a situation where you've got a bit more flow in transit, in logistics, in, in um, supply, and they've got the stock and they're fearful that they're not going to sell. But the data is saying that people are still buying. Do you think headlines like this change people's buying patterns? 100%. Because yeah. can you imagine just uh, a, a retailer reading headlines like this and going, oh, so consumers are pulling back. Okay, shit, I might not raise the prices of my products because last two yeah. years, three years, have been, I've been raising prices and I've been fine. Yep. Maybe this year I won't raise. Maybe this year I'll, I'll drop my price. Can you imagine if one, one retailer does that and then... Yeah, the snowball effect, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, th I think the headlines do genuinely make, make a difference. Do you think consumers go, oh, we don't need to rush out and buy stuff now. We can wait. Probably. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the, the sales are like in you know the Black Friday yeah, post Thanksgiving, yeah, um, which we've kind of adopted as well. But but certainly in the US, it would be really interesting. Deb was saying she goes, "I need to buy a new phone because her phone's all cracked and she can't charge it. It's water clogged, oh, really? and, <laughs> and she's trying to like just drag just it out wait, for long." Just and wait. I said, "Just wait till Black Friday sales." So yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, just far away. we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, the second chart, I thought this was fascinating. Uh, I can't remember where it came from. Maybe vi not visual capitalist, I think um, visual advisor or something. Anyway, this is changes in mortgage rates versus house prices. Okay. And so let me, let me try and describe this. And if you're listening to this, try and watch the videos, man, because it's bloody hard to try and describe these charts. <laughs> Just jump on the video. You can, you can watch the shit. podcast on Spotify as well. Uh, so not only on YouTube. But what it's showing here is the annual change, house price change on the left-hand side. It's a quadrant, right? 
And on the horizontal bar, you've got mortgage rate annual change. So as rates change, the percent, annual percentage change of rates, you then got a corresponding dot plot uh, as it relates to what impact it had on price changes. Top left-hand quadrant, mortgage rate decrease, house price increase. Have a look at the cluster there. Man, look at that. Which is basically saying as rates decrease, house prices increase. Lock it in. Right? Bottom left-hand quadrant, um, mortgage rate decrease, house price decrease. Uh, surprising there was quite a few quite there. Quite a few, isn't there? Quote um, the advisor capitalist, um, I think that's what it is. During the global financial crisis, mortgage rates and house prices were both dropping. Makes sense, right? So they're, yep. they're, they're the biggest ones. Um, top right-hand quadrant, mortgage rate increase, house price increase. There's a whole lot more there than I would have thought. That was the surprising one. Yeah. Uh, when mortgage rates have increased in the, in the past, house prices have typically also increased. And the bottom right-hand quadrant, this was just – this is a shock to me. Mortgage rate increase, house price decrease – Annual percentage change. There's, Mate, there's one, seven or eight. One, two, right. three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Quote, quote the source, periods of rising mortgage rates have rarely seen a simultaneous decrease in house prices. This primarily occurred during the recovery from the global financial crisis. So you've got 2011, 2010, no, 2010 again, uh, September 2009. So this mm. was fascinating really to me that – that is where we are right now. We are going through mortgage rate increase. And either we're going to have some dot plots in that bottom quadrant there or it's going to be in the in the quadrant above. Yeah. Mortgage rate increase, house price increase. What well, do you think? Well, US house prices are still going up. You know, that maybe at a slower rate and maybe it's getting harder and harder to sell. The year-on-year year change. Yeah. Not, this is not looking at month, month by month, month or no, day no. by day, right? But year-on-year, year, I mean, I don't know the year-on-year year number, but I – would bet good money it's up from 1 January to now in the US with a couple of months ago. It's probably likely to be in that that top right box. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I was just going to try and bring it up, but, uh, yeah, it's you can start to see that it's starting to plateau now. Sure. Um, but certainly the, the annualised, there's no decrease at this point in time. Yeah. Maybe we haven't had enough time to get an annual number decrease. So um, Maybe next year. Yeah, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Um, now, let's move on. Is, that, is this you? Yeah, I've just thrown this one in. This is from Jim Reid, Deutsche Bank. Uh, just pretty interesting. That, so the, it's just looking at uh, the Fed funds rate and inflation and, and what kind of happens. So basically, the nominal Fed fund rate always exceeds the rate of inflation late in the cycle. N- nominal... Cash rates. The nominal Fed fund rate, so the sure. nominal cash rate. Exceeds. Always exceeds inflation. So that's the... Always exceeds inflation. Late in the cycle. And does that mean that... Logically bo- makes sense. Makes sense, right? right? Uh, that the Fed raise rates, raise rates, raise rates. Inflation starts to come down. The they Fed keep raising or don't cut. Inflation plummets. We go into recession. Yeah. They cut. You can uh, see that on that chart, right? Like yeah, that dark blue line. Really clearly. So that dark blue line is heading up and the core inflation, well, it's somewhat heading down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I guess the, it's off its high. So the Fed rate is still got a little ways to go. Um, 
Deutsche Bank are now coming out and saying that the terminal Fed fund rate, that is the, the point at which they hit their high, will be 4.9%. It's currently 2.25 to 2.5. That's, that's where it is We've at the moment. We've got double to go. Which I kind of laughed at as well. And then I kind of sat back and thought about it and go, okay, so the Fed have got a meeting next week. It's going to be 0.75 or maybe 1%. There's an outside chance, maybe slightly better than outside. That so that, that gets us to 3%. Then we've got a meeting in November. There's none in October. At least a half percent rise. There were three and a half. And then in December, I'm like, oh, shit, we could get to four by the end of the year. Really, really easily. <clears throat> yeah. So that kind of, uh, my reaction was like, crap, we're, you know, it's going to double. I thought, wow, we could do it quite easily. Or the Fed could do and it quite And in easily. fact, if you look at the, the dark blue line, and for those watching, you can see that chart, the dark blue line peaks, and then the gray bar represents recession. And then it drops. How every well, not every single time, but almost uh, almost every single time. Yeah, peaks recession, peaks, and that's why we, you and I, have talked about recessions don't happen during a rate hiking cycle. They happen when rates peak at the end. Yeah, and so we've you know, still only got quite a while, quite a while to go. And then that, it, it kind of intuitively makes sense. Like to your point, if you're at four, four and a half, or four at the end of the year, and then you got a couple more, at, uh, you know, throughout the course of the first half of next year. And then you can, and, and I think Deutsche Bank is saying a second half 2023 recession, which that kind of all sort of lines mm, up, right? Makes sense. Um, but I wonder what happens to the stock market then and the bond market, because if we're there, they're already look, the market's already looking six, nine, 12 months ahead. Yeah, well, it was interesting last week we were talking about, which is right, the stock market or the bond market. I think the bond market at this point, you would say, has probably got it more right than, than the stock market. Uh, given the inflation number and, and now interest rate expectations. And what's the bond market saying? Is that, that we're going to start to see cuts? Uh, late to next year, I think it is. And are you saying the stock market's wrong to the extent that it's falling now when, in fact, it should be over? It, it, we've already gone through that process. We've had the declines. It should now be sort of more forward-looking? I think what I'm saying is the the recent rally in the stock market was probably a little bit premature. Right. You know, so we're, we're looking sure. at it going, who, who's right in terms of inflation and, and the economy? I think, yeah, I think the stock market just moved a bit too quickly. Uh, and that, that inflation number has probably shown that, which the market has then gone, okay, the Fed do have another 150, 200 increase coming, uh, maybe more, maybe 300. Um, whereas previously, I think that the market was expecting that the Fed was going to start raising by only 50 basis points, not 75. And that, that was going to start to taper off and we're sort of near the end of that. And, and then I guess the, the flow on effect is that they go too far. Yeah, sure. And we avoid sure. that soft landing. That's, that, that, well, that's what the uh, central bank's been doing for, for decades. Yeah. So I think the fear or realisation now is they're just going to, the soft landing's probably off the table. Do you uh, feel like... If, if they raise by 200 for the remainder of the year or more, 250. Yeah. Do you remember when central banks used to raise by like 25 points, 25 points, 25 <laughs> points? Do you feel like we're now so much more, I mean, if you think about that 50, 50, 75, 50, 100, whatever the numbers Huge. are, do you feel like we're just, be, we've become desensitized to yeah, like absolutely. what's actually going on? I mean, I mean, 25, you'd be almost like, ah, oh, so you're not serious about it. Now, well, I think now, that, that's, the it, that's not that, what it used to be. No, no, no. But now, like if the Fed came out and went 25 basis points, I think people would go, oh, okay, things are better. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, in, in the of realm of possibilities, everything we've gone through over the next last two or three years, I think you just can't rule 
anything out. Absolutely. That, I, I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, so the two-year Treasury yield uh, – sorry, the yield curve. So the two-year Treasury rate is 35 basis points above the 30-year rate. So we're inverted. Two-year to 30 is inverted, um, which, um, you know, is, is probably is – a level of inversion we haven't seen since 2000. So it's, it's becoming more and more inverted, uh, which is no big surprise. Yeah. Um, one other thing just on interest rates, but in Australia, I did laugh to your point about 25. Um, James Gerrish at Marcus Ma- Market Matters was commenting on interest rate expectations here in Australia and the market's pricing in about a 40 basis points rise, which his comment was good. We get back to... Uh, a, a multiple of 0.25. I was sitting oh, there right, going, okay. what does that matter? It doesn't mean, mean anything, but I think it just makes it's it gonna, easier gonna to rationalize go. it, right? 25, 75, 50 as opposed to a 30 or a 40. But anyway, uh, by the by, so Aussie unemployment rate, are we done with the US? You got yeah, yeah, else yeah, that's good. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Aussie unemployment rate dropped to 3.4, oh, sorry, dropped, increased to 3.5 from 3.4 in August. Participation rate was also up. Uh, by 0.2 so you know I don't know I don't know if that means anything we'll know in time I guess as to whether that's a trend or just a blip can I absolutely throw something in in there now so I want to um, uh, the kook I saw this from the kook on Twitter incredible data Australia has effectively run out of properties to rent and this is when the international borders are opening up to high immigration students and tourists rents will continue to surge Australia does not have enough dwellings for its actual prospective population um, and I'll bring this chart up now. This is from SQM um, that I came across yesterday. Uh, L- Louis Christopher from SQM shared this. So this is national residential vacancy rates. Uh, you can see that chart with the blue uh, vertical lines and that purple red kind of uh, vacancy rate. So this vacancy, national vacancy is at 0.9%. Jeez. So there's basically, there is no vacancy in the country. And there's only one way for rents to go. Yeah. And so when you talk about inflation and shelter, I mean, in the US, it's a little bit different. Sure. Massive. The US is no different. They have an undersupply of property. Yep. Yep. And so we, we go back to f- fundamental economics, which is supply and demand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your point about migration is or well, that point about migration is is huge i mean if you bring i don't know however many people into the country <laughs> that that vacancy rate just the thing that i'm not sure about is like students with all the universities now offering online courses you don't actually have to come here to study you know at melbourne university or whatever it is it's all yeah. done online now so i don't know what that's, what that's going to mean but is the driver to come here to study or to come here to them Stay as a resident. Yeah, but I mean, maybe don't people know. don't want to come here to stay as residents anymore because everything that we went through was lockdowns. Down. It's like, well, why would we go do that? But then again, maybe as, as, as COVID becomes something that you now read in history books more than anything else, yep. maybe, maybe that chapter passes and, we, and people we, kind of get back to what they were doing before. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. Mm. But what the data is showing as we sit here right now, vacancy rates are at 0.9%. The Man. lowest that they have been, um, well, this data goes back to 2005, so almost 17, 18 years. No, in 2006, it's 1.8%. I've uh, had a look at the data. So the, oh, is it? Yeah, 1.8. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, maybe, uh, no, that's not right. 
Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's looks uh, like probably slightly higher, maybe one percent. Anyway, have, I'll have a quick look now as we as we bring it up. Uh, Which is twenty thousand vacant? I mean, that's nothing. I'm, right? I'm I'm sorry, April two thousand and six. I'm sorry that it's zero point eight percent. Okay. And now we're at zero point nine. So, so we're, we're basically the same um, where we were back in two thousand and six. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the other thing I, the other headline I, I read uh, from Bloomberg um, was, quote, Australia g- uh, gauges suggest household firms weathering rate rises. Westpac consumer sentiment climbs for the first time in 10 months, consumer. Now business confidence and conditions both strengthen further. So it's interesting, your, the data point you've just pointed out with employment yet consumers mm. and businesses are feeling slightly different yeah um maybe well and that the that, tide's turning possibly maybe and that maybe that was just purely from participation rate you know the participation sure. rate increase so that more unemployment yeah, yeah so i mean that makes sense and that, that's probably a healthy rise hey, does that surprise you the consumer sentiment climbs for the first time in 10 months it does surprise me be, well I mean, yes or no because December. every time we look at data we you and i've always talked about how pessimistic the consumer is yeah in fact um equally if not more pessimistic than well certainly more pessimistic pessimistic than that of 2020 equally if not great more pessimistic than 2008 yeah yeah, that's right um i just i don't know i think i'm just trying to think about myself with the rates rates are not nearing an end whereas Six months ago, they were only just beginning. Climbs. So why we're, is it climbing? It's so, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. why is it climbing now? And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's maybe does it does it climb because the worse the worst things get, the better the outlook is, and maybe we've just got to a point where people are like shit it can't get, can't get worse. worse now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because we've come out of winter and people are like fuck. Thank God. Let's. Who knows? I mean, maybe consumers are people. We're weird. Uh, Let's move right. on. China, so we're still going through it. Sorry, people. Uh, China, August tour. Yeah, (laughs) China's August inflation was deflation down 0.1, which is interesting because China has long been an exporter of deflation Mm. around the world. So that 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 was fascinating. Um, 0.5 percent was the increase in July. So they've gone from positive 0.5 to negative 0.1. I think their annualized inflation was sitting around 2.5, 2.8 percent. Super super low. It's funny that's Um, low. Yeah, well, it's, it's the range, right, that, that everyone else is trying to get to. Uh, okay, across to Europe. Um, so September economic index declined to negative 60 from negative 54. It just gets worse. UK GDP came in at 0.2. Uh, 0.4 was expected. June's was negative 0.6, so it's increasing, uh, but still not really going anywhere. Uh, UK unemployment claims rose uh, by 6,300. Unemployment rate declined by, by 0.2 to 3.6. Um, and the average earnings, so uh, incomes, uh, increased by 5.5% over the three months to the end of July. So wages are going up pretty quickly over there. The expectation was 5.1. Uh, so wages are rising. Inflation, as we know, is off the charts and uh, we got the inflation number for August. It was up half a percent, 9.9% for the 12 months to August. That's going to get worse. Um, it's just not looking great. 
for Europe. I tried to find some positive data from Europe and just couldn't do it. So I'll keep looking. Can I add to your pessimism? Uh, <laughs> sure, let's pile on. So um, your com- your uh, topics that you raised last week for the European crisis and the gas crisis and what's going on over there. I saw this from Deutsche Bank and I just thought I have to add it in there. I have to add it in there. And so this is from, and I'll just get this chart up now. This is from um, Deutsche Bank. A depletion of gas storage scenario analysis, assuming a 0% Russian gas flow. So what this is saying through to Europe, if, if gas is, being, is coming from Germany, what um, Deutsche Bank did was they assumed a, a, a demand reduction if, if we're zero, from, from zero gas from, from Russia and it's coming in from Germany, yep. a reduction of 20%, 15% and uh, 10%. What does it? What do German gas reserves ah, look like? Okay. And you so it, right? basically, this is saying, in the next nine months, regardless of the the demand reduction, the 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 gas goes to negative. There's only one scenario where they don't run out of gas. They run out of gas. What? Twenty percent. If you demand reduction of twenty. Twenty percent reduction, and, and then you're at, huge. But you, you go from where we are now at seventy percent. And you, you get to what five or seven? Yeah, gas storage. I mean, you're, you're almost out. You just got to hope for a warm winter, I think. Um, so, for context, that this is quote Deutsche Bank, uh, with a fifteen and ten percent reduction, storage is depleted in March and February twenty twenty three. For context, the EU wants all countries to voluntarily cut consumption by fifteen percent this winter. German gas consumption was over twenty percent lower than the five year average in August, but this was mm. a summer month with light. Demand winter might be a different story if cold, but it's not only just like um, you know households. It's it's all the input manufacturing, into manufacturing, absolutely um, transport. There's just it. Huge. It's so much bigger than just people yeah. lighting their stoves and turning the heater on. I mean, it helps, but the big one is you know your big car manufacturing Industry. plants and right. industrial and yeah. I mean, that, that there is a positive on the positive side. Europe has done a very good job in building high storage levels over the last few months. But the bad news is the Russian gas flows from Russia stayed zero. It's going to be likely that some compulsory rationing is needed this winter. Yeah, I was listening to a football podcast, dudes in the UK, and, and one of them was commenting that um, over the last 12 months, they replaced their wood fireplace with a gas fireplace. He's like, and now Shit. we can't use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, just rip it out. <laughs> yeah. throw, the, throw the logs back in there. Uh, let's, let's move on. Have you got anything else? I've got one on more, economics? mate. New Zealand. thought we'd go across the ditch. Uh, GDP for the second quarter grew at 1.7%, which is pretty good. But their annualised rate is 1%. So they've had a bit of negative. But 1.7%. Uh, for the quarter. For the quarter. That's massive. Mm. So uh, look out for the next quarter. What's happening over New Zealand? Maybe they're um, firing. Mate, I'm done. 20 minutes for the market minute. <laughs> Might even be more. Where are we? Oh, fuck. That's a bit more than 20 minutes. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, if you're still there. Um, look, let's, cover, let's, cover, let's see what we can cover in the next 10. We might, uh, might cut a few <laughs> things out of here. There's a lot to cover. The markets have just been – yeah, markets just been going bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um the stock market's sitting on the fence. So we've seen, you know, we've had this discussion about bear market rally. Uh, it's, a, it, it's a rally. It's a bear market rally. It's a bull market. It's not a bull market. Um, so I'll just bring this chart up now. This is one that I put together. It's been doing the rounds, but I kind of felt like I needed to do my own version. <laughs> uh, it makes me look smarter. Why not? Uh, so this is from Refinitiv, and it's the S&P 500 over the course of the last 12, um, 18 months. 
And it shows in green, you can see the positive movement and you can see the blue lines that I've drawn there. The green line rising over through to uh, 2020, one and into 2022 and then you start to see the fall the market's falling you see a number of rallies but as you can see on the far right hand side it's not making new highs and so the the, the trend is down the june lows however this is what is really interesting and this is what will i think what will uh, determine whether markets continue to push forward yep. or whether we're just going to keep falling down and markets are, have not looked beyond what's happening at the moment. So the June lows, you can see I, I've drawn a very short line from the June, uh, sorry, from, yeah, from the June lows to the low that we just saw recently. September. Um, and so th there's, there's two things that, that are going to happen here. Either the market tests those new lows again and we break yep. through that bottom line and we break through the june lows which mm -hmm. in, in which case it's it's going to be a bit of a free fall alternatively we're going to start to see lower higher lows and the lows are not going to higher test lows. those yes. lows of june yes and if that green line crosses the upper blue line i think we're going to start running uh mm. into a bull market and just to add to the suspense uh, the third option is, is that that green line could breach that upper blue line and then fall back down again. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's a few scenarios um, there. A couple of other charts I want to start bringing up. Uh, this is from Bespoke, and this is showing the drawdowns from all-time highs over the last four years. And uh, Bespoke say, remember, at their lows in June, the more growth-heavy equity indices like the NASDAQ, the FANG stocks, and the small-cap growth were down 35 to 40% from their highs. That was worse than the decline seen during the COVID crash, which is, it's, it, I feel like it's genuinely mind-boggling to understand how investors are thinking about interest rates and what that means yep. compared to a global pandemic where the world literally shut down. And no one knew what the hell was happening. No. And when we can all see that consumers are still spending, you know, company earnings are still pretty reasonable, uh, and yet we've just, yeah... It's all interest rate. And, you, and you've fear, got right? the likes of, you know, Microsoft and whatnot coming out. They're still reporting pretty bloody good. Yeah. Apple's no Absolutely. different. Yep. Um, which, and, mm. and I thought that this goes back to sentiment, I guess. Um, what else have I got here? Let me quote this before I bring, bring it up. I think this is really important because this is affecting the state of playing the market right now. Um, quote bespoke. Today will be the 100th day drop for a 4% plus for the NASDAQ composite in its history going back to 1971. It will also be the seventh drop of 4% plus this year. Seventh 4% plus drop this year. Mm. Uh, these types of moves usually come in bunches and during bear, market, during bear markets for equities. Last year, we did not see one 4% drop at all. And over the eight-year pe eight period, and listen to this very carefully, the eight-year period from 2012 to 2019, we only saw three. Holy shit. Really? And this year we've seen seven. Wow. Okay. Um, so, so why does this matter? I'll bring this chart up from Bespoke. They've done, uh, since post-World War II, a 15% plus quarterly drop for the S&P 500, what the next quarter was, what, and we, uh, we love these charts, what the next half of the next year was. And they also did one for a 20% plus drop for the two quarters, which is exactly what we've seen. Uh, for the S&P 500. 
let's just have a look at the 20% one. Um, the next quarter, so we've seen it in, in, in 62, 1970, 74, 74, 02, 08, 09, and, and June of 2022, we saw a 20-plus% drop. Mm-hmm. The next quarter, the average return has been positive 8.51%. The next half of the year has been positive 21 The next year has been positive 100% of the time with an average return of about 31%. And the second half is also a 100% of the time return with a 21% return. Yeah, right. Wow. And it's no different for a 15% drop. 100% positive the half after and the next next year year. with an average return of 15 and 26% respectively. Yep. I mean, I think it just speaks to, (laughs) we keep saying it, I feel like a broken record, but it's really difficult to predict these things. You stay in the market and you've mentioned a few times the best days usually follow pretty closely after the bad days. Uh, it, it's, yeah, long-term it's investing, right? Super hard. And uh, I think Bespoke um, just wrapped it up nicely. While it may not be easy to think positively at times like this, this is precisely the time investors should have been putting money to work throughout history. And you know the day that we the market dropped about 3% um, the other day, last Wednesday, whatever day yeah. it was. Yep. And, you know, we chatted about this, but the best thing uh, about um, trying to get clients and investors to think this way yep. is when you don't have to make sort of proactive calls to tell people what's going on. Yep. You receive inbound emails from Say, clients saying, bye. bye. I've been waiting. Client instruction. Bye right? today. Yeah, um, no, that's, that's brilliant. And kind of means that they actually listen sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I think fundamentally believe too and, and trying to take a, as much emotion out of it as, as possible. Yep. Um, yeah, what do you got, mate? Just super, super quickly. So September 15th, which was yesterday, uh, marks the anniversary of Lehman Brothers, the Lehman Brothers collapse, which I didn't know until I read this from Bespoke. Um, and they were just talking about September generally, and gener- September is always referred to as a, a bit of a rocky month, as is October, I think, the, you know, the, the major crashes. Um, so they just did this quick chart, which somewhat goes against what you just said, but not really. It's very, very short term. Not I'm talking long term. Yeah, you're talking long term, and it's, <laughs> it's much better. But anyway, from the 15th of September to the 30th of September, over the last 40 years, 60% of the time the market has been down and it's been down by about half a percent on average. So they're just talking about kind of just the back end of September. Like what is it that, that gets people all kind of riled up and, and bloody freaking out about things? Anyway, so uh, I just thought that was interesting. It would be really interesting to watch the next couple of weeks. I think inflation and interest rates, you know, interest rate call next week, that's probably going to yeah. impact markets for the rest of this month. Is it 21st, 22nd, something like that? Yeah, I think it's – the yeah, one of those. Um, and then we you know, can hopefully start moving forward. Hopefully, you know, hopefully that inflation number starts to moderate. It's probably not looking great for the short term. But, mm. but again, as we kind of round out this year, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe some hope that, that some of those core inputs are, are coming down. I won't worry about the rest because we are running well into time. Let's uh, direct his cuts. Have you got- just, just one comment before um, your... You were talking before we go there. Before you were talking about the September. Uh, there's also studies done when what the stock market does on rainy days and sunny days. So I think like you can cut yeah. like the uh, data absolutely with yep. And, and apparently sunny day, uh, rainy days people are people are a bit more gloomy. They're a bit more down. Sunny days they're positive <laughs> and optimistic and they're buying. Sense, right? I mean the other way to look at it is forty percent of the time it's up. 
during the month of September. Sure. 60% of the yep. time it's down. When it's down, it's down by more. I mean, you're right. You can can't slice and dice this any way you want. But uh, Whatever happened to go, just, uh, sell in Maine, go away? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Let's, let's go to directors. Come again. Sell in so Maine, go away. Or something? Oh, I yeah, I don't know. know. I don't know. Uh, all right. Um, what do you got? Hint, hint all right. So really, really quickly. Um, so Mickey Mantle, the baseball legend. Uh, so one of his mint condition cards. I can't remember where it's from. Pretty old card. Bring it up here. This is what the card looks like. Uh, Rob, what do you reckon this sold for? And I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, so a few months ago, Diego Maradona's Hand of God jersey sold for $9.3 million. Uh, there's another um, baseball card that sold, I think in the last year, um, so it sold for $7.25 million. And Muhammad Ali's uh, Rumble in the Jungle um, belt sold for $6.2 million. They were all in the last few months. Right. So sports memorabilia is on fire. What do you reckon this card sold for? When did it sell? This week, a couple of days ago, Sunday. $4.2 million. Uh, I'll give you another guess. It's higher than all of those. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Yeah. 15.3. Oh, 12.6 million US dollars. Who that, bought it? For that car, some, some I was just thinking like. So the same guy that bought those uh, the, the, NFTs last year for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just, the way I thought about it was like if those other memorabilia was. Like I just think about Muhammad Ali's Rumble in the Jungle belt. Like right? iconic, right? Um. Madonna's hand of God. God, iconic moment. Um, was that was, should that have been a, a free kick? It should have been. A, it should have Handball. been recarded. Like <laughs> you're out of there, champ. And then England win. You know that was that was the goal. That, uh, anyway, and then I thought if this was done more recently, then markets have gone down. You just raise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's interesting. Other way, mate. Other way, mate. I, I, this is it. Alternative assets is where people got to be. <laughs> that's it. That's the new fund. The, the card the, fund. the NFT fund Yeah uh, interesting And I just brought up Just this other one uh, So Kathy Wood Who we've mentioned a few times She runs the ARC funds um, So she went buying Went out shopping on Thursday when, Or Friday when, Wednesday Whenever the market fell Yeah She went out and had her, One of her biggest uh, Market buying days Ever uh, As we can see in this chart here Again Question for you This is a bit loaded What was her Biggest purchase on the US markets, NASDAQ, uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was. What, what, what would you guess was the l- biggest position or the, the most amount of money she put into which stock? Does, do they already hold the stock? I already held it. One that we've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. I'm not gonna, I don't think it's Tesla. No, not Peloton? Tesla. No. Uh, what did she buy? No, no, what did Tesla. they buy? Roku. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so I think I might have to sell. <laughs> it's a counter sell sign. Uh, I thought anyway. I wouldn't be buying Peloton. No, not a chance. Peloton, a tech company. Peloton, I, may, I don't know. Are they a company that's going to be around in 12 months? That's probably a, <laughs> a more pointing question. Right, I've got something ridiculous. Uh, all right, mate, what do you got? Uh, this is Bloomberg. <laughs> I read this quote of Bloomberg. Sorry, what the hell? The US and Ch- a quote, US and China must find a way to avoid conflict on the moon. They can't. <laughs> They can't fucking avoid conflict here. They have to avoid conflict on the moon. We both suspect the other of planning to make territorial claims in violation of the Outer Space Treaty. Who has an Outer Space Treaty? uh, I mean, Jesus. A good starting point would be... 
But this is what they're saying. A good starting point would be declaring historic landing sites protected as the common property of humanity. That would set a precedent for future cooperation. What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> Humans are now claiming territorial rights to On planets. The bloody moon. Wait till Elon gets over to Mars. And I mean, this fuck. is very upsetting. Like it is, <laughs> it, it is, it is deeply upsetting because, it, it, like to me, I feel like what what are human beings? Where are we at in like, in have in, we not progress? Anything? I read that um, that there's plans for mining and exploration on the moon. Like what can, for? Can we not? Can, just can we not just fuck up one planet? Do we have to just go and just take them all out? Like, did you watch um, David Edinburgh's <laughs> documentary? I can't remember what. what what, what it's called, but it, he, he talks about how we're killing the planet and it's actually not the planet we're killing, we're killing ourselves because the planet and the earth and the universe will continue to thrive yep. um, Once we're post gone, us. Right? And so, It'll in recover. fact, we're, we're, we're killing ourselves with, uh, with climate change and whole, you know, we won't go into all that now, but uh, have you watched the documentary? It is... I've seen quite a few of If you haven't seen it, seen this one. that's my bloody tip and recommendation as well after this. Which is, one is it? Uh, bloody hell! That was not my tip and recommendation. Right. It's on. Net, it's on. It's on. It's on Netflix. He's got a few. I feel like there's been a few recently that he's put on, or that have been put on there. A you, life on our uh, planet, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah, that's right. It, it's. Yeah, it's it's this, it's very it's deeply disturbing actually, and yeah, it's right. yeah it. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful documentary. Um, and yeah, absolutely fascinating. And you should watch that. Um, maybe more people should watch that. Make some make some different decisions in life and choices. Um, all right, what do you got for uh, tips and recommendations? All right, today? so a show that I started watching after it being recommended to me by um, one of the parents clearly. from the kids' soccer team. What's that? Not me, clearly. No, <laughs> no. Uh, it is called Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, so this is a document. It's on Disney Plus. It follows how many how many streaming services do oh, you have? Fuck, mate, all of them. Too many. Not Paramount Plus. I've seen Paramount Plus advertising. The only one I can think of. We don't. Oh, yeah, I don't know. We've got a lot. Too many. It's a comedy. Uh, the yeah. irony is, I never get to sit down and watch TV. Uh, oh, clearly, you do because you've got a new recommendation for a show every week on one of these streaming services. Well, that's <laughs> some. Trust me, I'm scratching. Okay. Some of them are watching. You watched the anyway. trailer. <laughs> so the trailer said. No, no. So this is released every couple of weeks, I think. Oh, yeah. um, so it's Ryan Reynolds, who you probably have heard of. And Rob McElhenney, I don't even know, from um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, Saturday Night Live. Anyway, so these two dudes have decided to pull their money and buy Wrexham Football Club in Wales. Interestingly, one of the oldest sporting organisations in the world and the oldest, they have the oldest international football stadium in the world. Something like 150 odd years old is their stadium. Anyway, so these guys have basically just decided to go and buy this Welsh football club. It's a true and, story. Uh, true story, yeah, absolutely. And really, really interesting. So Wrexham were good many, many years ago, not so much anymore. But what I like about it is it's, it's about football, but it's not really. I mean, it's, it's kind of about everything around it, you know, the people, the fans, the interview fans, and just what it means to people to have the club or prospects of the club being good again, uh, what it does to the community, 
um, you know, it's just just really really interesting. I kind of like. I mean, there's quite a few like these. Um, Sunderland till I die. Just I think one season. One. Yeah, just one season at the moment. It's seven or eight episodes. I think they released two last night or something. Mm. I message. But anyway, uh, well worth the look. Really interesting. If you're into sports, not necessarily football or soccer, um, you, you'll probably enjoy it. What's uh, out of pr- ten? Pr- pretty interesting, mate. At this point, I'm going to give it a seven. I'm sitting on the fence. I'm just waiting to see where it goes. Okay, uh, maybe you need but, a few more episodes. But I did jump ahead and look at. So this was, I think, filmed in 2020, end of 2020, mm-hmm. early 2021. So they're kind of just taking over into the season, into the next season. I did jump along, jump on the ladder uh, just to see where they are at the moment. And um, you yeah, following them. Faci- well, I'm not. Fa- I don't want to be a bandwagon jumper. Still Liverpool. Just after the documentary. Just, just really interesting. Membership skyrocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, surely it's part of the deal, right? But it was funny that this, you know, National League, not even like they're semi-pro at best, um, are being sponsored by TikTok. Like well, the only <laughs> reason they're sponsored by TikTok is Ryan Reynolds. And they actually comment on that. And, you know, it's, it's pretty funny. And these guys, you know, they're happy to laugh at themselves. It's quite a good insight into them as well. Um, but yeah, so worth having a look at. Uh, you'll get a free trial for a week or two. Uh, plenty of time to knock over a few episodes. Now the school holidays may be. Did you ever watch Moneyball? No, I've never watched it. I've got oh it on my, my list, but I've never watched it. You've never watched Moneyball? No. Man, you will, you will really enjoy it. Okay, yeah. knees, man. And never watch Moneyball. You'll really enjoy it. Yeah, you, okay. that, That's not my tip, but that will also be a tip of mine. Well, uh, I keep referencing it. So Liverpool... Maybe weren't the first, but certainly one of the large proponents of using data in football. It wasn't really done, American owners and all that. Um, but it's more and more, you know, Brighton do it. Um, there's a lot of clubs that use tons of data now mm. to recruit and kind of work out where players feed in certain schemes. Mm. So, uh, yeah, money it's, it's on my list. I need to watch it. Did you ever see PM Capital um, do like a money ball kind of theme about for, for their portfolio. Oh, management. really? Yeah, no. I'm like, man, really? It's a stretch. What right? are you guys doing, man? <laughs> what um, do you got, man? Uh, so we went to dinner last week with some friends of ours, some good friends of ours, and we went to Masti, Indian restaurant. I know you love your Indian. I do like Indian. So if you ever get a chance, because you know how we're always up and down on Brunswick Street because we're weird. Fitzroy, Brunswick no, Street. you got the beard, you fit right in. No, I've trimmed it. It's... Uh, it's more Somewhat respectable. Sophisticated now. <laughs> George Clooney look. <laughs> uh, yeah, Musty Indian Restaurant. It, were, it was... Um, so on Brunswick Street? On Brunswick Street. Okay. On the corner of Brunswick Street and some one-way road or street. <laughs> I don't know. But it was, re- it was lovely. It was, it was cold outside. It was warm inside. Yeah, nice. uh, the food okay. was excellent. Um, you know, Good. it's not... Um, it's pretty... Uh, it's... Probably on the more expensive side, I would say. You okay. could probably get uh, cheaper Indian food locally. But it was a really nice experience. Um, walked in and it was yeah, it was just nice feeling. And I just love the smell of like Indian. Indian. Oh, man, yeah. And my, our friends are Indian. And I sat down. I said, oh, how are you going? I said, oh, just oh, how good's the smell of this place? He goes, it just fucking smells like my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, can I come live with you for a little bit? I love this just smell. for a week. Um, so Masti Indian restaurant, um, if you haven't been, but like the mocktail, it's not cheap, man. The mocktails were like 20 bucks. Yeah, right. For, okay. for mocktails. Um, and after uh, a, a reasonably good Thursday night, uh, Friday, no, Friday, Saturday, was, I was just, yeah, I was on mocktails on Saturday night. Yeah. 
<laughs> getting older. So out of 10, mate, what do you give it? Uh, I'd probably give it a seven. Yeah? Yeah. Have oh. you had better Indian? Uh, yeah, it's been sort of more the traditional dodgy, not dodgy, but, you know, it's just the local uh, family that's running a restaurant. Everything's yeah, yeah. just, you know, done really just, well. But yeah. it, was really, it was a lot of vegan options, okay. which is fantastic. Um, nice. And, yeah, I'm sh- a lot of gluten-free options as well. So, But the bread, oh, man, the bread was... Don't want to hear it. Man, the bread was so good. Really? Yeah, uh, it just puffed up. Um, uh, naans. Uh, yeah, it's just so good, man. Yeah, really nice. So if you've ever been uh, Musty on Fitzroy Street in Brunswick, we're going to take a break for a, a few weeks. We've got school holidays and whatnot coming up. And um, to avoid the pri- the uh, government levy on fuel on the 28th of September, I'm jetting off to Bali for a little while nice. on the 27th. Yes. And so let me know how the fuel and diesel prices go. Fill up your jerry there. cans, people. <laughs> Load um, up. And, yeah, listen in on YouTube, hit us up, and we'll catch you soon. Cheers. My name's Robert Baharian, and I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management, AFSL 526-798. The information contained in this podcast by me, my colleague, Matt Rigby, or any of our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances. You should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you.